This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. <laughs> I see Rudo Damon over there. Dude, it's a beat. It's a beat. Mm-hmm. This, is, uh, this is the song we usually use to close out the Nuggets show. I feel like uh, we're done. We're good here. Quickly say hello and good work, everyone. <laughs> um, before we get started, DNVR, of course, it's Friday, so we will be hosting um, Santa's workshop open at Kiowa Island. Did I say it right, Ryan? Good job. Okay. All country clubs can participate, and better yet, anyone can win. You just have to go on to dnvrgolf.com and download WGT Golf. Um, and then once you do enter the clubhouse, DNVR4, country club, my apologies, um, you can enter to closest to the whole challenge. Submit your screenshot on our pinned Twitter thread, which is at dnvr underscore sports, or email them to info at thednvr.com. Once you have entered to win, we will choose a random winner each week to pick out a DNVR shirt of their choice and mask and we'll ship it to you we will host a new course every week leading up to christmas um winners are picked every monday and you've got nothing to lose so download wgt today if you haven't join the dnvr for country club and head to kiowa island for the santa's workshop open and hit some balls to get close to the pin i once again sucked at that game <laughs> um, last night and wanted to throw my phone uh it's really hard being so bad at something. It, I love it. I, I'm so glad we switched over to closest to the hole only. It has taken out the worst part of my golf game. So oh, it's great. If I was a regular, I would literally have a broken phone. <laughs> Sounds like you... the hole is awesome, but it's just fr- It's just I like sometimes I do well, sometimes I don't. It really got to pay attention to the distance that you're hitting it because that's where you get screwed if you don't it's It's, it seems like you should focus mainly on your rage issues more so than your game like maybe (laughs) (laughs) that might be true but hey i sit over every shot for like three minutes and then at the end of the day i change nothing and i'm like screw it i'm just gonna (laughs) i'm sure it's fine it's fine the best is when you hit a good one and your phone like gives you that little like vibrate which is like yep that was a good one and you're like yes i just need one good one every show and i'll all feel good did you not um, have what? Not even one good one this last no, time. No, I did. I had okay. one. Well, then how come I your phone was almost broken? You're t- you're just crossing yourself up here, lad. I don't know, I don't know what to make. Because of I that. think I scored like six hundred. <laughs> oh, that's phone break. That's <laughs> phone oh, break worthy. We're drifting yeah. into like. A anyway, pin cup here. Go download WGP. It is really. I will get good at this game. I told you guys last week. I will succeed at this game, and I will be part of the. Um, sub 300 club and so you know that's my determination you guys come come let's see if you're better than me download wdt today join the dnvr for country club and we'll see who wins the shirt in mask this week nobody out three and two on charlotte Jokic gets it across the timeline gets a high pick and pop with murray Lindsay breaking through taken away by nathan mckinnon two on two with landis guy Gracious me. Take a good look. You won't see it for long. Two-run home run. Trevor Story. Lock. And so touchdown. Number two for Sutton. Got it. Oh, man. That's from way downtown. And the blue arrow is flying at Pepsi Center. Score! It's too good to be true. Welcome into the Denver Sports Podcast presented by Breckenridge Brewery. 
Broncos Ooh. Country Pale Ale is the beanie that I'm repping today since it's snowy here in Colorado. I'm your host, Ali Monroy, and with me today, I've got RK, Rudo, Eric, and Drew Creaseman. Happy belated birthday, Rudo. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> no one else wanted to say happy birthday. Y'all yeah. said happy birthday yesterday. We said it yesterday, and I didn't mean it then. Why would I mean it now? Exactly. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> Uh, that's, that's how we all get along here at Gidner. Anyways, um, today we are going to be talking about Colorado general managers, their impacts on their team, and who deserves the title for the best GM in Colorado history. This topic and discussion today is in honor of former Colorado Avalanche president and general manager, Pierre Lacroix. Um, Pierre Lacroix passed away on Saturday. Our thoughts are, of course, with his family and friends. But with that, Rudo, I'll start with you. When you think of Pierre, what do you think of? I mean, I think of the greatest Avalanche teams ever, but I was a little bit too young to really appreciate him as a person, really. Um, you know, it, GMs it, certainly in hockey are not the face of the franchise in, in any way. The, the people like Joe Sackick are the outlier because of his NHL career. Uh, they're usually the people working behind the scenes that you don't talk to that much. Yeah, you'll hear about them when, when trades happen and things like that, but they're usually the silent guy behind building, in the Avs case, Stanley Cup winning teams. And that's the thing about Pierre specifically is he was never afraid to go big he was always, always willing to make the major move if he thought it could win the Avs a cup. So it was a fun decade, certainly, of, of Pierre always giving you something to talk about, even if it wasn't directly about himself. <laughs> yeah, Pierre, uh, he was known for big trades like Patrick Waugh in 95, Ray Bork in 99, and then Rob Blake in yep. 2000, 2001. Yeah, it had a bunch of other bangers that aren't as, as well-known either, and, and some bombs as well. He traded Chris Drury away and, and some other bad ones. That's That just comes with the territory when you try and go big. Yeah. My favorite thing about this podcast is the fact that Sherudo is the hockey guy, but all of you are from Colorado. All of you know these teams, and so I can ask Eric, Ryan, Drew, what do you guys think of when you think of Pierre? I'm probably the only one that's old enough to actually be, have him have been in my, uh, on my radar. Cause I was, I was in college when Pierre was like really popping. So he, he actually, um, was somebody that you were aware of, like, because the avalanche made moves every year. Like that Rob Blake trade was a big deal trade. Um, they had, you know, like it was like the final piece to like really get him over the hump. But they like Pierre Lacroix was like constantly doing stuff. And he was an, he was a GM, that you knew his name because it was always coming up in the news because it was always associated with some like big trade that was going on. Um, I agree with you. Like, um, it, we, I mean, not switching over, but just like in, re I, I actually had to like research most of the Nuggets GMs because for the most part, it's like you're talking about GMs just sort of like work in silence. They're real G's that way. They're, they're like lasagna. Um, so they're just like not, you know, you don't really know about those dudes until usually until it goes badly right yeah um but not the case like Pierre had he was like really i mean his personality was big he had a hilarious french uh canadian french accent or french canadian accent um and uh he was just he was making moves so th that that is at, like when um you know when when the news came down last week or earlier um you know, that really got me thinking, like, man, was that was that the best GM in the history of Colorado? Like, I, I can't even if I sit and think like don't really think about it, like no other GMs like particularly come to mind in that way. Um, so, you know, like it, it, it was a big blow because it, it, the avalanche came. They were immediately relevant and they never stopped being relevant until. It, yeah. And it was it's super interesting with Pierre because the avalanche were a new franchise at that mm -hmm. point And. Uh, look, I love the Avs, don't get me wrong, but the access to Joe Sackick as GM is nothing like it was back in the early 90s with Pierre. Uh, you could go and talk. We had Adrian Dater back on the show, the Avs podcast this week, to talk about it. And he was like, yeah, I could walk into Pierre's office any day and just interview him and, and talk about stuff. And these days That's it's crazy. like, 
Yeah, to, to get Joe Stackick, you like you're asking months in advance, and you're like, maybe we'll get back to you on that. So, for um, as fans who don't know, or not for other fans who don't know much about Pierre, he um, was the GM for the Nordiques in '94, and then when the Avs moved to Denver, he continued to be the GM and then led the team or built teams um, that won the Stanley Cup twice in 1996 and 2001. Um, and then he moved to solely team president, and he is in the Colorado Sports Hall of Fame. I think I think it's interesting to talk about Pierre Lacroix, uh, especially when you look at you know who's probably the best GM in Denver right now. Well, it's between Joe Joe Sakic uh, and Tim Connolly, and I think uh, with Lacroix, it's a very different approach than yep. Tim Connolly had um, because than has because. You know, it's all about we, we don't skip steps and, you know, we got to believe in the guys that we bring in here and all this stuff. And LaCroix was just like, Moving who's the best player I can possibly <laughs> yeah. get and I'll do what I have to do to get him. We um, skip all the steps. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's actually funny. Like, as his tenure as GM sort of wore down, the, the Avalanche were sort of like, they had like almost no assets left. They, they had, we, we entered into that, the great uh, depression of <laughs> the Avalanche earlier in this decade. It was also a, a result of a lot of yeah. the moves that he made. Was not a GM that could rebuild a team at all. <laughs> right. And that's, you know, it, it creates an interesting conversation about GMs and what you want. Uh, you know, obviously you want the championships and he did what it took uh, to, to get to get the championships here. And then when you do that, there's almost always consequences to pay afterwards. Uh, you know, look just across town at the Broncos and John Elway, you know, like they did whatever they had to do. They backed up the Brinks truck for Peyton, obviously. They, you know, laid out the red carpet for him. Then they went and get to market, you know, they get to Marcus Ware and they're adding all these different free agents. Well, then. Those guys get old, they go away, and what do you have now? you got to start all over. So, you know, being a GM is really interesting, and, and to me it's all about – it's kind of like a boxing match. You, you know, you take your jabs and you get them, and you try to find that one place where you can throw a big right hook, big uppercut, and land a exactly. knockout punch. Uh, and it's funny because, you know, with with Pierre, he just – he kept swinging. And just like you said, Rudo, he missed, the, he missed a couple times, and – there was obviously the Korea and Solani era, which was a bit of a miss. And uh, I, I don't think that's Lacroix's fault, but that's a big <laughs> right, right. Yeah. But, but you you notice the trend there of just like trying something new, trying something new. Who can I get? Bring in the best players. And and you know when people look around and they look at Tim Connolly and you get like the hot takes out there that are like he's not willing to make the big move. I think he's just being really patient. Uh, and sometimes you look back and say that patience was great. Sometimes you might look back and say, man, I wish they would have swung for the fences a little bit earlier so i think you know pierre lacroix's legacy is that he knew when he was not afraid to take a big swing and he hit on a couple of them and and that's why there's banners hanging in the in ball arena you gotta risk it for the biscuit i guess (laughs) there you go i also think it's really interesting to look at gms now and and think of pierre lacroix back then and and some other gms the time that you got back then is very different than the time you get now. I feel like people are ready to call for GM's heads, uh, for owner's heads, just be like, if it's four or five years of not much success, then it's like, all right, let's move on. You see some of these GMs in the past have had 10, 10 years or more to try and figure this out, swing and miss, swing and miss until um, they get something going. And it's very, very different nowadays. I mean, yeah, I- for Lacroix specifically, the majority of his tenure as GM of the Evs, there was no salary cap in the NHL. So if you wanted to go out and get someone, you just went out and got them. It wasn't <laughs> like, oh, we got to fit this in and we got to move this part. It was like, I'm building an all-star team. <laughs> Deal with it. Like, <laughs> That's funny. So, yeah, I mean, a lot, a lot of that, what you're talking about, Ali, just has to do with the fact that um, – Every person has a really loud voice now via social media. Like, you, you didn't have just people. I mean, people would, would be upset about things, but, like, what do you do? You just yell at your dog or sit on your yeah, hands? Yeah, like, like, fan bases <laughs> would show up um, still in the stadium, and maybe they'll be pissed. But totally. now these people have social media to see and all these polls and all the media in general, and they're, like, they feel it a lot more than before. Totally. All right, Drew, do you have anything? I, I, Rudo, or I got Rudo, Eric, and RK. Drew, do you have anything about Pierre Lacroix you want to talk about before we move on? You know, the, my, my sort of silliest relation to this actually comes from that time of 
because as most people know, I've only recently become like an actual hockey fan, right? And and during that era, what I was was a hockey video game fan. Uh, <laughs> Same and, time. and uh, you know, one of the things you do in a video game is you, you go in in a sports game and you, you start trading everybody around and you build the team that, that you want, right? And uh, I just remember booting up those games back then and seeing the teams that the Avs had. And despite the fact that I didn't really follow hockey that well, they were all people that I knew. They all had like super awesome ratings. And so it's kind of funny that like, again, I didn't know this guy. I didn't know his name at the time, but I knew the Avs were dope. I knew it was a dope brand to be a part of. I knew they were awesome to play in the video game and I didn't have to trade anybody. And it's amazing the kind of impact that somebody can have on you, you know, that where you're like, I'll play this awesome game and I'm having fun with all these people. And that's really only possible because of a guy you've never heard of and really are paying no mind to consider at all. Uh, so. Yeah, that, that's kind of what I think about most when I think back on those uh, Super Avs teams is just playing as them in video games and how much fun it was to get to be all of those guys, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> thanks for that. I, I will say I want to add, um, you know, none of us knew Pierre personally, uh, but my mom uh, actually sold Pierre Lacroix a house and she oh. had nothing but uh, amazing things to say about him and his family and how they treated her and just everyone around them. And I think that's a big part of his legacy too for people that knew him. That's cool. He, did, he didn't like trade that house later for a better house? <laughs> no, it was actually right before he got fired. So I guess technically he did trade it for one probably in Canada. Um. What were you going to say, Rudolph? I was just going to say, just to make the case for him as best GM, yes, there's those two Stanley Cups, but don't discount nine straight division titles for the Colorado Avalanche. He, the dude was a monster. So with that, before we move on to the Broncos, Rudo, I want to ask you, Joe Sackick is the GM for the Avs now. What Pierre, of course, was the best for sure Avs GM in history, but what will Joe Sackick need to do um, to compete with him in that uh, conversation? It starts with winning a cup. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But is it two, three cups? How much? Like, uh, let's start with one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's tough to do, um, but even I think even right now you can make a pretty good case for him being the second best Avs GM. Um, there was, a, as Eric alluded to earlier in the show, a, a kind of a decade of darkness for the Avs where multiple rebuilds were attempted and ultimately failed for the team. And, and Sackick was the GM to come in and, and eventually bring them out of the darkness. So that alone probably puts him in second place. But it, look, he's built a team that I think rivals some of the teams Pierre has built, but it does not matter until they win. Yeah. Anyone? Does anyone else have a some things that Sackick needs to do before well, before thing, he's in that conversation even? I, I, he's, uh, he's most certainly, most assuredly on the path to yeah. probably take the title of best Avs GM. Um, but like Rudolph said, I mean, you need the accomplishments. The difference between Sackick and Lacroix is that Lacroix uh, mostly inherited a lot of his team. It's just like he got like really good pieces that then he wasn't afraid to go out and play with. And, you know, like getting Patrick Waugh from Montreal, like, a, you know, the disgruntled, like best goaltender in the league and actually being able to make it happen, uh, bring him, bringing him to Colorado. But I mean, he had, you know, like he had Joe Sack. I, did he draft Peter Forsberg? I mean, no, no. So, right. So there's a lot of like, no. he was just given a lot of these players and, but he just, he was given a good hand and he didn't screw it up. And he also yeah. wasn't afraid to play it. Right. So that means quite a bit. Joe Sackick is in the process of not only building a roster from scratch, but then also making deft moves along the way. It's the thing about Joe Sackick is the early part of his tenure will always be muddled because of Patrick Waugh. Right, uh, yep. You know, he was technically part of the organization as early as the Nathan McKinnon first overall pick. Uh, he had a significant say in, in taking that guy. So certainly is is the architect of this team. But at the end of the 16-17 season, uh, you guys talked about Twitter and social media. Everyone wanted his head. It's yeah. so true. It's hilarious now. And yeah, <laughs> three years later, he's, he's the greatest thing since sliced bread. So... <laughs> Opinion can change very, very quickly. It does. I do think a, a good part that you brought up earlier, Rudo, is the fact of the difference in salary cap when Lacroix was GM compared to now. That does play a big role right now um, with the Avs 
yeah, or, it, or Ryan, you were gonna say something. Oh, I was gonna switch lanes, so go ahead. It's just with Sakic, building a team is much more of a involved process now, right? <laughs> the the Abs have never had a pro- problems with money. Cronky, if the team is good, has always been willing to spend to the salary cap, so that's not an issue. But you can't just go out and spend money frivolously anymore. You can't pay your fourth line players, you know, $5 million a year. You end up with a losing team that way. And Sackick has navigated that. What will really cement his legacy is how he navigates these next few years, having to pay Nathan McKinnon, having to pay Kale McCarr. If he continues to ice a contending team, they do win that cup. I mean, do we had this conversation months ago on the Avs pod, but you could realistically be talking about Joe Sackick as being one of the first players to get into the Hall of Fame for a second time as a builder mm-hmm. at that point. Uh, I wanted to talk about, you know, uh, the inheriting uh, of those players. And then, of course, the circumstances that allowed uh, Pierre Lacroix to get Patrick Law in the first place. And I always think it's funny, like, how we talk about legacies and how things change over time, because, you know, if it's not for um, the Canadians really poorly handling Patrick Law, he never gets that opportunity. And we might not be having this conversation right now. And the reason I bring that up is as it relates to John Elway, because people always say as it relates to John Elway, well, if you take away Peyton Manning, what does he have? And I always think that's like the dumbest argument. (laughs) Right. If you take away... Patrick Waugh, what happens with the – like, they probably don't win two Stanley Cups. Right. So, uh, I, it's just interesting how it happens, and you talked about it, how everything changes so quickly. You know, what's happened with Joe Sackick is the opposite of what's happened with John Elway. After the 2015 season, everyone's looking at John Elway saying, this guy's a golden god. He did it on the field, then he did it, in, you know, from the GM seat. He brought in Peyton. He brought in Akeem Tlaib and – DeMarcus Ware and all of these guys who were such big contributors to a Super Bowl championship. And like we mentioned earlier, sometimes you sell your soul for those guys a little bit and, and, it, and it all comes crashing down afterwards. So no one is saying if you take away Patrick Law, what happens? Because what happened when Patrick Law and Joe Sackett and Peter Forsberg and those guys retired? Well, all of a sudden Pierre Lacroix didn't look so good anymore. Now, that doesn't mean you take away his accomplishments from when they happened. So yeah. legacy is an interesting thing in, in how we look at those uh, those moves is funny, uh, but you know, I, I always think the well, if you take away Peyton Manning thing, it's so silly because like everyone wanted Peyton Manning and John Elway got him. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> the, the idea that uh, somehow we just Peyton Manning was going to come here regardless, like he was, right. yeah. he was like, well, after the uh, after the Colts, it's the only the Broncos for me, so hopefully I get along with whatever GM happens to be there. You know. Yeah. yeah. Also, I do want to say at least from an East Coast perspective, all the Broncos fans I knew were not excited about Peyton Manning. He was coming off of that injury and they were very nervous. That I had a lot of fans around me. Oh uh, <laughs> just saying, that's that was my experience on DC. <laughs> Everyone's like, no, Peyton Manning, Kibo all the way. And I was oh like, are God. you high? <laughs> What's it, going on? It's- it's interesting because it's a little bit similar to the, the Ray Bork conversation back in the 99-2000 where this was the guy that was looking, in Ray Bork's case, for his first championship, but was looking to win, and the best option happened to be Colorado. So all the pieces fell into place. Uh, in that case, Pierre got the job done in getting the guy to come to the team, and, and honestly, even the same kind of way. They didn't win it that first year with Bork. Yeah, so it, it it's incredible not only to get the players but to keep them around yep. as well. And there's luck involved, just like Always. Tim Connolly landing Nikola Jokic. Like no one knew that that's what was going to happen when they got it during the Taco mm-hmm. Bell commercial. Kale McCarr <laughs> got drafted fourth overall, man. Like yeah. Yeah. sometimes you get lucky. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, we, we, too bad Quentin had that Capo Cacobo or whatever his name is that everyone was all high on. <laughs> that was the next. That was the next draft, wasn't it? Was it? I thought yeah. uh, he was like the number three or number whatever. <laughs> all right, before we move on to the Broncos DraftKings sportsbook, guys, I lost some money yesterday, oh, but buddy. we are going to make it back this weekend. I'm Allie excited. did not handle it well. <laughs> Yesterday wasn't a good day. All right, I don't. I watched a WGT. Yeah, your poor phone, man. Right. <laughs> and I lost some money because I bet on 
a dumb bet that I was told not to bet on, but I still wanted to bet. <laughs> so, anyways. On the other hand, I went four for four. Jumped into if, a bath full of money. If so only you had access to this knowledge. Listen to DNVR Bets Daily because, and you should take their advice most of the time. Because when you don't, <laughs> then you lose some money like I did. But, um, NBA is back. The Nuggets uh, are back starting next Thursday, next Wednesday, next Thursday, Wednesday, Wednesday, um, which is just pretty crazy. And DraftKings is celebrating the return of basketball um, by giving you a plus 75 point spread on the team of your choice on opening night. It's basically free money, right, Ryan? It is free money. Yeah, that's just basically about it. But it is on opening night. They might do something the night the Nuggets open, um, which is the following day. But don't for, don't mess that up. It is opening night of the NBA where you can get this um, plus 75-point spread on the team of your choosing. All you have to do is bet on any opening night game. And if your team doesn't lose by more than 75 points, you will double your money this Saturday. There will also be endless amount of actions to get in on when it comes to the NFL and college football. So definitely check that out. Like I said, listening to DNVR Bets Daily, they'll they'll get you some money at least. So definitely check out that show. Um, is there any anything you're interested in dabbling, uh, Ryan? Uh, I'm always interested in dabbling. <laughs> um, dabbling? Uh, tonight... I would like to dabble in Buffalo minus 13 going up against Ball State in my beloved uh, uh, MAC, the greatest <laughs> conference on earth. Um, what were you going to say? I was going to say, wow, what a dabble. I love it. <laughs> yeah. It's a top dabble. You know you're dabbling if you're betting on the MAC. Uh, um, uh, I always I always enjoy fading Nebraska. They're favorited oh, tonight uh, against – uh, Rutgers, so you just always fade Nebraska. It usually works out. Uh, and then Oregon and USC. Um, I, I got a weird feeling about Oregon on on this one. Everything's been like the Pac-12 can't do anything right. They just keep doing everything wrong. And like Oregon beating USC would just be like the perfect cap on like okay, now you don't have an undefeated team either. Uh, so give me Oregon uh, plus three and a half, and and maybe a little sprinkle on the money line as well. My favorite part about uh, learning more, getting deeper into the world of gambling is learning about all of these like non uh, like scientific methods that go into gambling, like the uh, there's the emotional hedge. And then mm. what you've introduced, which is just the spite fade, which I appreciate. Uh, <laughs> and, then yeah. and then there's fading the public also, like all of these things that you can do yeah. that you're that uh, where you're betting on things that have nothing to do with the, the sport itself. It really falls into my, my personal cheese. Yeah. Yeah. You've, you've also got um, new coach games. Sure, Always sure. on a team debuting a new coach, <laughs> uh, new quarterback, like rookie quarterback games. If like a team is like unveiling their rookie quarterback for the first time all season. Got to hit on that? that. Oh yeah. Really? Interesting. Yep. Interesting. Yep. I, I mean, think about it this year. You got Justin Herbert who burst onto the scene. They didn't win, but they covered the spread against the Chiefs. <laughs> um, Tua came in. He won. Right. Uh, Joe Burrow covered the spread in his first game. I mean, you know, the team, they don't have a scouting report yet. I can't believe I said it wasn't Did, scientific. This is clearly very scientific. Did I miss someone saying this, but the biggest margin of defeat in NBA history is 68 points. Oh. <laughs> so a team could literally lose by a record and still cover that. Just so you, you know. Exactly. It's free money on DraftKings Sportsbook. you got to sign up today to get that free money. And if you do sign up today, don't forget to use that promo code DNVR. Um, I've, I've learned a lot about emotional hedging this year. And <laughs> Ryan was in pain yesterday because he emotionally hedged against the Raiders and the Chargers were about to blow it. Was it true? I, I did not emotionally hedge yesterday. Was, oh, there were no I, I thought you were like, I'm not betting on the Raiders. Pure like, no, I mean, My that's just – the Raiders are a mess, so, you know, that's a good good strategy. I was <laughs> in pain because I said on the show, I'm betting on the Chargers and I know it's going to be pain, like super painful. Uh, and it was, it was, but it turned out uh, well in the end. Oh, there you go. go. Well, 
like I said, don't forget to use the promo code DNVR when you sign up. Go get your free money. That's code DNVR. Get a shot at doubling your money on opening night for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. Colorado only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. And, of course, if you have a gambling problem, um, call 1-800-522-4700. Let's move on to the Broncos for this debate on best GM. Um this is an interesting one, Ryan, and I'm going to have you go a little more into detail as to who you, Mace, and Zach all picked for this one. Yeah, well, you know, in true Mace fashion, um, he uh, <laughs> had to throw like a little curveball at me. Uh, and he said that he actually would pick John Ralston, who was another guy um, who, you know, was m- working multiple jobs. Uh, but in the words of Mace, I will quote here. Quote, the talent he brought in from 1972 to 1976 changed the entire trajectory of the franchise. As I responded to Mace, uh, yeah, that all sounds great. Uh, I'm going to have a hard time uh, going much, for, much further than you on that one. Um, with the Broncos, it's, it's interesting because in the NFL, uh, especially, you get these head coach slash GM combos. Um, so in my opinion, the best GM – in the history of the Broncos, also happens to be the best coach in the history of the Broncos, and, and it's Mike Shanahan. Um, what makes this difficult and why he's kind of, I don't want to use the word disqualified, but not going to win the conversation of who's the best GM in Denver sports history is because later in the later stages of his career with the Broncos, Mike Shanahan, the GM, kind of spited Mike Shanahan, the head coach, and, and those two things weren't working well together, and you know Shanahan kind of had too much power at that point uh and it kind of all fell apart but during the time where the broncos went on to win two super bowls mike shanahan was the head coach and he had final say on player personnel decisions so uh you know to me a lot of times when we're talking about quarterbacks or we're talking about who's the best this or that in the league we always say like well the conversation can't only surround brains because why because you know it's not uh, Peyton Manning's fault that the you know that Raheem Moore couldn't make that play in Baltimore. So was it his fault they didn't win a Super Bowl that year? No, not really. Um, but when it comes to GMs, I think it is. It does start and end with championships. Like they control everything. They are the puppet master. Now again, I don't know if it was anyone's any GM's fault that Raheem Moore couldn't make that play. But in the end, the GM has the ultimate control over things. So for Mike Shanahan to win two championships as the head coach slash GM. To me, it makes it very obvious that he is the best GM in Broncos history. Two championships and also broke a lot of records um, in the NFL and is a Broncos ring of famer. Yeah. Is there any conversation about legacy there? Because Shanahan did have a little bit of falling out in, in Colorado. Does that affect that at all? To some, maybe. Um, the fact that, you know, it took so long to get him in the ring of fame was always a joke, in my opinion. Like, like, like the entire validity of the ring of fame was being uh, undermined by the fact that the best coach and best GM in the right. history of the franchise wasn't even in the ring of fame. Um, so there's definitely some weird, bad blood there. Like, there's, like, this power struggle uh, within the Broncos between, you know, a bunch of very powerful families and all that sort of thing. And we, we don't have to get into that whole thing, but I think it's, it's like a lot of things in sports, the further away you get from it, the less you're worried about the petty BS that went on at the end. And the more you realize how good things were when, when, when they were rolling. So I, a, a little bit in terms of legacy is compromised, but again, every year, Broncos fans start appreciating Mike Shanahan more uh, as a GM and as a head coach. Um, so there's some people in the comments who have mentioned Elway. What would you say in that conversation and that debate between someone like Mike Shanahan and John Elway? If you want to talk about who had the best five-year stretch of anyone ever, uh, it, it probably would be him. Um, you know, he did the same thing with the division titles where they won the AFC West every single year. They won a championship. They had the highest winning percentage uh, in sports of any team during that stretch. And so he, I mean, he was on track to become the best GM in Colorado history. And how cool would that have been? You know, best best player in Colorado sports history, best GM in Colorado sports history, arguably. Um, and then it just, it, it fell apart. And while... 
there are times where you want to just pile on John Elway and, and go after him for the failure that is the post Peyton Manning years. I, every time I take a step back and realize how hard it is to get a quarterback in the NFL, I, I kind of give him a break. Like there is no replacing Peyton Manning. Uh, and teams go decades and decades without finding their replacement quarterback. Look at the Bears. Look at the Bills. You know, the, Josh Allen is the first good quarterback they've had in a long time. Uh, you go through the league and you see, okay, it, I mean, the, the Browns, that's a that's a once-proud franchise. For most of us, they've been a joke our entire lives because why? They haven't found a quarterback. Yep. So finding a quarterback is incredibly difficult, and I think the expectation of, replacing Peyton Manning during a five-year stretch uh, is is unrealistic. I think it's so funny when there's audio stuff that happens uh, or, like, background things. People who are listening to the podcast won't know this, but all of our faces during the live stream when we, like, hear it, we're like, oh, oh, what is going on? Oh, and Drew left. Drew's excused himself. Sometimes Harrison comes in like Darth Vader and we're all like, <laughs> that, is that not the craziest thing ever? I, I, I need some sort of explanation as to why Harrison comes in like Darth Vader. He sometimes. does that for DNBA too. Oh my god! And then like we always are just like blown back, and we're like, and he just keeps talking because he doesn't realize it's incredible. It's the beauty of of twenty twenty having to <laughs> record this podcast um, uh, over the internet. So just fun stuff happens. Uh, hopefully, at some point in twenty twenty one, we will get back to recording this in studio. But um, for the time being. Let's move on to some Rockies and Nuggets. I feel like this is also going to be an interesting conversation with you guys um, since there is, there isn't as much of that like history of championships and stuff built in. But before we do that, we'll not move as in. much. No, and there's not quite as much. Of that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a little that. less. <laughs> Between Double the two franchises, nice. they've had the opportunity to play for one, and the Rockies won zero games in that World Series. Oh, Nuggets oh. were in the championship. Hold on. It was a long time ago. First, <laughs> Green Mountain Dental Group. Go check them out. Go get your teeth cleaned. It's so important to take care of your teeth. And when you have a toothache, it's so painful. So definitely check out Green Mountain Dental Group. Uh, they are 15 minutes away from downtown Denver. They are so kind, such a family-oriented um, dentist. They treat you like family, and they really are like family to us. So when you support them, it truly helps us out. And you get something free. You get a free Sonicare toothbrush when you schedule a cleaning x-ray and exam. And I walked by in Costco, those electric toothbrushes, including Sonicare, and they're pricey. So you should definitely check out green mountain dental group get a cleaning x-ray and exam and you will get receive a free sonicare toothbrush like i said tag us tweet at us let us know when you go um they are truly such big supporters of ours and huge denver sports fans so while they're cleaning your teeth you can be talking about the nuggets championships um aspirations this season and and so much more so definitely check out green mountain dental group today all right who who should we go next Drew, Eric, Eric, let's finish with Nuggets. Drew, oh. let's let's talk some Rockies here um, for best GM. I was going over the names um, with Ryan. Oh, and you <laughs> think you be like Dan O'Dowd with like the, the World Series, but besides that, you're kind of like, eh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Is that well, it? Are we should, should we go to Nuggets now? Or? Next, yeah, move on to, yeah. yeah, it's Look, it's not exactly a, a storied history, right? There, There's a couple other people you could add into the conversation if you wanted to get creative, but really the Rockies have had three. Um, there's the current one. And the then there's Dan. <laughs> so, moving on. Uh, there's, uh, and well, there are certain things, you know, about both Bob Gebhardt and Dan O'Dowd, where, as you mentioned, Dan O'Dowd, took the team to the World Series. If not for a ridiculous layoff, they probably would have won the World Series in 2007. Uh, they got right back there in 09 and had a really, really good team in 2010. That, that, that's the best stretch in Rockies history. And that team was built uh, under very purposeful direction by Dan O'Dowd. And, and really, uh, and, and it's funny, because I actually wrote about this at the time during the changeover and uh, <laughs> Was, was very much laughed at. And I think a lot of people are looking back in hindsight now and seeing even a lot of the elements of the team that were good in 17 and 18 uh, were Dan O'Dowd acquisitions. They, they weren't Jeff Breidich acquisitions. Some of them, you know, 
uh, he extended or, or he kept, or he, he was the director of the farm system during that time. But uh, yeah, so Dan O'Dowd, I, I really do think is the guy. Bob Gebhardt, who was the original GM, gets some credit for uh, a number of important things. I mean, it's tough to take an expansion team to the postseason just two years after coming into existence. That's unless pretty the, impressive. Unless it's the NHL, um, in which case you just win. Right, right, right. <laughs> in baseball, that's almost unheard of. And the economics of baseball is one of the things that, you know, R Rudo, I, I think, you know, made a great point about is that, you know, the economics in other sports kind of allow you to, if you're, you're the new guy and you come in, you got a bunch of money to spend and just go and do it. But in baseball, like, you're not going to outspend the Yankees and the Dodgers and the Cubs. You're not. You can't, uh, especially in Colorado. And so, you know, Bob Gephardt comes in here. Hiring Don Baylor as the team's first manager was huge. Setting the tone, giving the team an identity. The Blake Street Bombers, putting those guys together, selling out Coors Field, moving the team to Coors Field, though that's, that's more on ownership than GM. But navigating the team through all of that. And uh, they had some solid years in there as well. Three years in a row from 95 to 97 where they were above 500. Larry Walker won an MVP during that time. Uh, you know, th that 95 team, again, I think really did have the talent to go a lot deeper than they did. They just ran into the best rotation in the history of the National League at the wrong time with the Atlanta Braves right there. And three Hall of Fame pitchers and a short NLDS, and that's that's tough to deal with. But, yeah, there, there isn't a, a long and storied history of, of Rockies GMs. But I, I do think when you look in hindsight at what Bob Gebhardt and Dan O'Dowd were able to accomplish in those short spurts, um, what they were able to overcome. You got to give them credit for that. Uh, and then if you wanted to get creative, you, I think you could say the best executive in Colorado Rockies history is Kelly McGregor. Mm. When Kelly McGregor was team president of the Rockies, they had a direction and an identity and a philosophy and a drive and they weren't afraid to do big things and some of them blew up in their faces like the mike hampton and denny nagel stuff but that didn't stop them from turning around and not being afraid to trade matt holiday for carlos gonzalez and not being afraid to sign the big contracts for todd helton and troy tulewitzki and and carlos gonzalez and and you know when when he tragically passed away at the age of 47 i had to look it up to double check that today in 2010 uh it it totally derailed the franchise it left them without leadership. It left them without an identity. And they, they have not recovered from that. And, you know, I, I think in many ways, he was the most important leader, executive leader in the history of the Colorado Rockies, even though he was never technically a GM. Drew, who, if you had to choose, though, for best GM in Rockies history, who would it be? It's O'Dowd. It's Dan O'Dowd. And that's really, really funny, remembering just how much people hated him when it was time for him to leave. They really they hated him. really, yeah. really hated Dan O'Dowd. And that, look, some of that's just he'd been around for a long time. And I, 1999 I to it. 2014. Yeah, that's a, a yeah, time. that's a long time. You either die a hero or live long <laughs> enough to see yourself become a villain. Right. I don't think that applies here. I was going to say, he's kind of gone through the villain, and then people were okay with him during a little but bit I mean, of winning, like, and then right back to villain. Had he, had he, had he, like, had the Rockies won the World Series and gone off in a blaze of glory, like, he would have been right. a folk hero, but unfortunately, he yep. stayed on long enough to then become a villain again. Right. <laughs> we, John Elway talking... is the perfect yes. uh, <laughs> totally right. hero to villain type of progression. Yeah. We've been talking a lot on the Rockies podcast lately just about, like, over history, what do you have to hang your hat on as a Rockies fan? And mostly it's these star players that you remember loving watching their performances and these times you went out to Coors Field and so-and-so did whatever. And list your top 10 to 15 Rockies players, probably 70% of those guys, uh, especially if you're not a big Blake Street Bomber. If you're big, big into the Blake Street Bombers, then Bob Gephardt might be your guy. But if you're any of these modern times, even to the point of like Nolan Arenado and Troy Tulowitzki and John Gray, those are all Dan O'Dowd acquisitions. And so, um, yeah, I think it's Dan O'Dowd. <laughs> all right, Eric, for the Nuggets, you said you did some research and you went yeah. over some names. But I've got some notes. <laughs> does, it, does it really seem like it is Tim Connolly? Well, so the Nuggets have been around for 53 years. 
Okay. The Nuggets started off in the ABA. Uh, the reason you don't know about any of the Nuggets history is because the Nuggets history is just dotted with ownership issues. It's like uh, what the the Broncos are going through now. It's like there is they they something builds up, um, then there's some sort of ownership issue, then they gut the front office, then they just start over. They start over. They start over. Like new groups are, are constantly have through the history of the, the Nuggets, just like come in, um, no real um, regard for the history that preceded or, you know, and so that's kind of why the Nuggets are like, in the, have up until now this era sort of been in, in a perpetual reboot stage, which is like really difficult to get behind. Um, the Nuggets have actually had like multiple GMs win GM of the year throughout their history. Um, like recently we had Masai Ujiri, which is a name you probably know because he obviously, he was like really good here, but like he's not pales in comparison to about what he's been able to accomplish in Toronto. Um, obviously they just won a couple, you know, the, the NBA championship the year before uh, by courting Kawhi Leonard up there. Um, then there's like Mark Warkentine. <laughs> I probably pronounced that wrong, but he was like, he was like the GM. Did I get that wrong? <laughs> I don't know. I have no but the point is, is like, so I'm, it's funny because I'm a huge Nuggets guy, but I like don't even know half of these names because yeah. they don't, they, they didn't really carry the prestige of a Pierre Lacroix, of a John Elway, of, a, you know, any of these guys, even Dan O'Dowd. Um, but, you know, there are all of these guys have like big hits that they accomplished along the way like none of them had like really long periods of sustained excellence which is like what really allows you to endear yourself to a city and become a uh, an icon um tim Connolly is now in a position you know where he does i think have the opportunity to really claim that crown i think like if you i mean if you're looking at it from a historical standpoint um Last year, uh, there was a guy named Carl Shear who was like a really important uh, piece in Nuggets history. He he passed away, and they did a, a tribute to him at a game that I was at, and it was a name I hadn't heard before. And then as they went through all of the things that he actually did for the Denver Nuggets, I was like, why have I not heard this name before? I mean, he literally, like, he um, is the one that named... Uh, he opened up a fan um, vote, and th the name of the Nuggets came under his watch. The rainbow uniforms came under his watch. Doug Moe came under his watch. Like he is someone really like, answer that phone. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I guess it's my phone. <laughs> I was I was cooking here. Waxing poetic about Doug. Right, right. <laughs> I couldn't take it anymore. I, it. <laughs> so, I didn't even hear it. Um, but uh, the point is, is that. Um, you know, that, that was like a really important figure in the history of the Denver Nuggets, and people don't really know about him. Like, yeah. Tim Connolly is in a position now where he is building the Nuggets in a way that is different than it's ever been done before. It's different than the way that Pierre Lacroix went about building the Avalanche. It's different in the, the way that uh, John Elway went about, uh, you know, rebuilding the Denver Broncos. I mean, there's like a now infamous... Um, report that came out a story that came out on espn like shortly into the tim Connolly era where they just um the the image at the top was rocky in the ocean being surrounded by sharks and they were talking about how the nuggets were now the most disappointing team in nba history because they had at their helm this guy tim Connolly, who was like totally inept people there were inside sources around the league that were talking about how he was completely in over his head he tried to sign kenneth farid for uh, an amount and a, a and a um, number of years that were not legal under <laughs> uh, the rules of the NBA, and so they were just like he was just like a laughing stock, and that was like six years ago, and like since that time, all he's done is just bring in like amazing draft pick after amazing draft pick after amazing draft pick. Um, the one thing I will say about Tim Connolly is that he is really, really uh, fantastic at scouting talent and bringing the right talent in which it makes sense because he started his career as a scout the thing that tim Connolly like the, the the next step for tim Connolly to really become like a, a galaxy brain gm is that he, he he never wins the phones like he never wins trades he never makes the right trades or like makes pulls the trigger the the, the like you're talking about the peanut gallery around town like talking about tim Connolly, like not 
willing to step up to the table and, and push it all in. And, you know, like if, if the Nuggets really cared about winning, they'd go out and they'd get Jimmy Butler or they, they'd, they'd, you know, they would, they'd get LeBron James to sign here if they really cared about winning a championship, which is hilarious because, like, you know, for the history of the Denver Nuggets, it's like not, you don't have the, at your disposal, the ability to just convince free agents to come here. So Tim Conley's gone about it in the, the exact right way. And, like, it's, I mean, you know, this is obviously recency bias, but the Nuggets right now are as fun as I can ever remember them being. Um, like, their future feels so unbelievably bright. And we just brought in a new crop of players. Like, all of them seem awesome. Like, I, I don't really know what to do with myself when it, when it comes to the Nuggets <laughs> because it's like everything just could not be rosier and shinier right now. Uh, like, basically everything that's happening at... Uh, over a child circle between the abs and the nuggets is just like Very we're just exciting. seeing gm yeah we're just seeing gms being put in a position we're seeing patient ownership that allow long-term plans to actually be put into place and um you know allowed to sort of like fail and rise and rise and rise and it, it's just like so amazing to happen or to, to watch happen and so you know whether or not that like both Sackick and Conley are just uh, beneficiaries of a new philosophy from ownership or potentially just like ownership that's so busy with other franchises that they don't have time to micromanage and meddle. Um, but, you know, the idea that you just put the right guy in place and you let him work is just like paying dividends big time for both of those franchises right now. And so Tim Conley's right on the path for t- to be that yeah, and I mean, that ties into the podcast we did a few weeks ago on how ownership is impacting Denver. And we had a bunch of people in the comments saying, can Joe Sackick and Tim Connolly just help the Broncos and the Rockies out? And that's just a testament to what around the talk around town is with those two franchises and the way that their future is panning out. Yeah, for me, you know, the thing that I love about Tim Connolly is his ability to remove ego from the equation. Um, I think that when you are a decision maker in any business, in any position like his, ego can only hurt you. Uh, And Tim Connolly is not afraid to surround himself with successful people that he trusts and put them in positions to succeed. And to me, that is leadership uh, at its best, uh, especially from these type of positions. And, you know, just to juxtapose that against uh, who's one of the GMs who's struggling in Denver right now, John Elway. You know, he is an ego guy. Like, he clearly has a big ego. He always has. And at times, that when you're winning, that comes off great. You know, when uh, when asked about, you know, what's plan B for Peyton, and he said, there is no plan B. We're going plan A. Like, when he talks about um, rebuilding, he says, "We, you know, I don't use the word rebuild. Like, it, he, a lot of the things he does come from, from ego. And I think uh, as much as that was – maybe his greatest quality as a player was how much he believed in himself and how much he believed that he could do anything. I think it's spited him a lot of times uh, as a general manager. And for Tim Connolly, it just doesn't feel like ego is involved at all for him. I think if, if ego was involved, he might panic and make a move uh, that wasn't the right move, but he's just sitting back, keeping his cards, knowing what he has and saying, there will be a time for me to strike. Uh, and I'm going to make sure that I do it at the right time. And that, to me, shows you that he's not worried about what people are saying around town, chirping about do this, do that, do the other thing. He's sticking to what he does and, and putting people around him that he trusts and just letting it letting it play out. It's true. And the one thing, one actually, like, asterisk here, like, one thing to note is Tim Connolly is not officially the general manager of the Denver Nuggets. He's the president of basketball oh, operations. Right. Calvin Booth is the current GM of the uh, of the Nuggets. And before that, it was Arturis Karnishevis. And it's like, these are all just guys, like, it, it, but it only goes uh, more to what Ryan is talking about. Like, Tim Connolly just assembles a brain trust. And, like, the, the title doesn't really matter. Um, Tim, We know that at the end of the day, Tim Connolly and... And uh, Josh Kroenke ultimately make the, the, the final decisions. And Josh Kroenke, um, you know, like one, one of the best things that ever happened to the Denver Nuggets is that the NFL 
did not allow his father, Stan, if he was going to be an owner in the NFL with the Rams, to also then be an owner of the Denver Nuggets and the Colorado Avalanche. They wanted a, a sole ownership. And so he had to then essentially sign the team over, team over to his son, Josh. And Josh is an actual collegiate-level basketball player. Like, basketball is in his blood. Like, Josh Kroenke hangs out with LeBron James. Like, L- Josh Kroenke, like, hangs out with, like, ex-NBA players. Like, he, this is something that's actually, like, something that he legitimately cares about. It's something that's like part of his personality and part of his his actual interests. So um, you get guys in there that just like want to talk about basketball. Like Josh Kroenke and Tim Connolly they just like talk about basketball all the time. And they just like bring in like really high level basketball minds and they create a collective that just, you know, from what I understand when it comes to drafting, why they do such a good job is they just get their draft board they just assign value and then they just figure out like just like your your smart friend in your fantasy league like oh wow like this is good value where we have this guy ranked in where he is still on the board so let's get him let's do what we can to get him like they just yeah. understand the concept of value that it, way it's interesting that the nuggets and the abs basketball and hockey the two sports where we are quickly seeing the rise of analytics have seen their front offices rise as well whereas the analytics king of baseball well yeah not so much in in colorado (laughs) no no not (laughs) and the broncos are completely failing in the analytics department as well in my opinion i think when you think of that uh tim Connolly of mcgregor like you see that it doesn't really mike shanahan that gm position president position like some of the the naming of this doesn't really matter it's who actually has control who actually leads a team um because we see so many people who aren't technically gms who have made the greatest impacts in denver sports history um let's go to the comments real quick stony here is saying pierre lacroix is the best general manager in denver sports history but tim Connolly is probably the second best um I, i i would say it's joe sackick number two and then uh, Barbara Barbara Creasman is in here saying, "I'm sure it's Breitich." <laughs> I, th- Thanks, I think second best has to go to Mike Shanahan. You think it's Shanahan? Yeah. Yeah. I, it, so we. Well, I guess you're right. You're right. You're right. You got to get that, that that ultimate goal. You're right. You're right. I, I take that back. So yeah, I mean, Mike Shanahan. Also, something that I noticed of Mike Shanahan when I was just doing my notes, he passed. Uh, he was the winningest coach in franchise history, which is crazy. Um, so definitely, let's vote. Let's let's get this figured out here. <laughs> the so definitive Pierre list. Lacroix, first, best GM in Denver yeah. sports history. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Next up, is it Joe Sackick or is it Mike Shanahan? It's got to be Shanahan. 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 And I honestly, uh, would put John Elway third. He's the only other one with a ring. It's, I mean, it's it's tough to argue at this point. Yeah, you could start to have the conversation about Sackick there, but ask again in three years, and Sackick might be second, or he might be like twelfth. <laughs> <laughs> the so, thing okay, that I... so we got Pierre Lacroix as the first, uh, the best general manager in Denver sports history. Mike Shanahan as the second. John Elway as the third. Joe Sackick as the fourth. Then it might be Tim Connolly after yeah. that. It, or it, it might be Carl Shear. Honestly, it might be like it might be some of these old legacy guys that, so, that don't really get since, spoken about. Since you threw a name out there, and we got a comment from a Hall of Fame writer, Tracy Ringlesby, tweeting at us about this very topic, and you better believe he threw out a name that was totally what um, Alex Hannum is who he came through with who uh, was was a GM for the Denver Nuggets during the the ABA days from '71 to '74. Uh, they <laughs> came in fourth in the Western Division and third in the Western <laughs> Division. They didn't he won the the NBA Finals a couple of times with St. Louis, Philadelphia, and he won the ABA Championship with Oakland, but he only did okay with Denver. I do love that the one piece of trivia they have on him is that he's one of only three NBA players to receive more than six personal fouls in a single game. And on December 26, 1950, he received seven personal fouls in a game against the Boston Celtics. That that sounds like the best GM in history to me. I don't know. (laughs) Best Colorado GM in history. All right. Well, I think this is a great conversation and it kind of led me um, to think of another TDSP topic for us. Um, Maybe like best best year best two years um 
best few years in Denver sports history that we can go back go back to because you think of 95 and you think of the Avs and the Rockies coming to Denver there's then you think of the championship years in 96 and 2001 and 97 and 98 for the Broncos um I think that would be I think 96 97 98 uh it's quite the stretch late 90s and we just don't talk about the nuggets anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine so if you ever it's have a topic that you think would be awesome for the nuggets abs rockies um and broncos to kind of all sit down and talk about definitely send it my way or comment on the podcast don't forget to leave us some reviews um on itunes or spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts they mean the world to us and i will read it on um the episode so definitely check that out check out all of our merch and i hope you guys we will be back with a wednesday edition of tdsp since it's the holidays on thursday and friday so definitely check that out i think it's going to be in i think we're going to talk some nuggets because there'll be um there'll be a game at that point but off the rails right before the holidays i think that's the perfect way to do it so uh (laughs) tune in next wednesday for that and we will see you guys all next week later